Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crash, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Visit mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. When it comes to the English language, few things get people as worked up these days as the whole phenomenon of text messaging. All those abbreviations, all those misspelled words, it's destroying the language and turning us into a nation of illiterates. No, no. (laughs) I gather that you beg to differ, Grant. And so does author David Crystal. He's a professor of linguistics in Britain, and he's written a surprising new book on this topic. His book is called Texting the Great Debate, right? Right. Uh, I have a copy of this book, and I have to tell you, it's my new Bible. (laughs) The main thing he has to say is that all this talk about texting destroying language is bunk. It's not a big deal. For one thing, this kind of playing with language isn't new. Right? It's just another form of playing with language that English speakers have always done. Always. Another thing, it's not just young people. Isn't it funny how these big cries about language being destroyed always seem to blame the teenagers? But you know what? The first generation to use the Internet in a real meaningful way, they're in their 30s. And they have kids of their own. It's not just young people doing this. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Who's mm-hmm. using all those Blackberries and the big corporations? <laughs> Everyone, point. right? Good point. Another thing that he's got to say here, which I think is incredibly interesting, is that when people use texting, they use relatively few abbreviations. For example, the most common abbreviation, do you know what it is? Um, no. X, meaning kiss. How hard is that to understand? If I said, oh. uh, you know, see ya, XXX, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And that's really old. That's not new at all. That's right. That's and that's another thing centuries. he's got to say. You'll find that the acronym BFF for Best Friends Forever mm-hmm. is brought up again and again and again in news stories that talk about the destruction of language by texting, right? But BFF dates to the 1950s. It does? I didn't know that. <laughs> it does. Wow. It does indeed. But the main thing to understand about what's happening with texting is that people want to be understood. That's their main goal here. And the only time that they're going to do something that's really wacky and really hard to understand is when they're in a hurry or showing off or they're feeling silly or whimsical. And that's a very small percentage of the time. Well, I tell you what, this book is a real eye-opener, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more later in the show. It's called Texting the Great Debate, and we'll put more information about that on our website. That's at waywardradio.org, and if you have a question about any aspect of language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD, or you can send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. This is Amelia, and I'm calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, Well, hello, Amelia. What's going on? Well, I have something that's both a question and a pet peeve. Oh, well, okay. And it's about food. All right, what is it? Okay, well, so I live in the Midwest, and I've seen on a number of menus throughout Wisconsin, mostly at, like, 
kind of down homey type of restaurants. Beef served with au jus sauce or served something served, you know, as a side of with a side of au jus sauce, which I know is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you can't say with au jus sauce. What's the sauce called? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and how high were you? <laughs> we weren't at all. Oh, okay. Oh, Amelia, Amelia. Uh, so so let's just clarify here because it uh, might be hard for the listeners to understand what you're saying, but you're talking about the French phrase A-U-J-U-S, two words, yes, right? Okay, that's correct. And it's and, that I've seen it a couple of different ways. It's it's either the like the real thin, brothy sauce that comes with roast beef, or here in the Midwest, it's also um, like a thicker gravy that's served with like sliced beef and like mashed potatoes all in one plate. Are you a French speaker from way back? Do you speak French? I don't speak any French. Okay. Well, that puts you in league and uh, in agreement with most of America. So uh, right there, we're on to something. The reason that you have a problem with this, it's a peeve, is because you know, though, even though you don't speak French, that, that au jus already means um, with the juice or with the sauce, right? Right. So right. you're saying with the sauce sauce. Right. So it's yeah, with, with sauce sauce. Yeah, it's like ATM machine, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because right. the machine is in there twice, and you're like, oh, wait a second, you can't do that. The other one like that is a mesclin mix. Oh, right. It's another so French it's, one. Right, because mesclin, it's a Provencal word, already means mixed salad, mixed. right? Right. So why, why say it twice? But there's two things happening here with au jus and with mesclin. And the first one is that they're no longer French. So we borrowed them into English, and now we're doing English things to them, evil English things to them, uh, American <laughs> things even. Well, the English, the and, French, you know, they don't get along. <laughs> yeah, they don't. But um, so the, the French no longer, the French language no longer really has too much of a say on what happens to these words. Okay. And it's a good thing, too, because <laughs> au jus, for example, now actually is often treated as a noun and actually means meat sauce. Wow. Right. So not it doesn't just mean, you know, with sauce or with juice. It actually is the the thing itself. And really? you'll find this in established cookbooks. That's creepy. By by professional <laughs> by people by people who've actually trained in France. Yeah, I th- I think of English as, as the the language that goes around at a party and takes things off of everybody's plate. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right, I'll have one of those snail crackers and I'll have a little bit of your soda and some of this whiskey. The other thing that's happening, the second thing that's happening here, let's just talk about au jus and not mesclin, mm-hmm. is it's what we call, and here's a little wonky term for you, a post-positive adjective. Oh. Yeah, but what that means is, it's really simple, the adjective comes after the noun. And okay. we usually don't have that in English. There are only a handful of words that most people, that, that that can happen to in English. And so when people encounter that, there's a problem. Beef au jus might actually be such a thing where the beef is the adjective and the au jus is the noun. Because you might say uh, today's special is the beef au jus thinly sliced. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of unclear if you don't speak French what the heck the au jus is doing after the beef. Maybe it's the noun and beef is describing the noun. Okay. Right? Oh, my so gosh. Could, <laughs> wow. So you could, see, you could see how somebody go, like, oh, I don't know. I'm making in the best sense if I can with the, the normal English rules because a post-positive adjective, that is an adjective that comes after the noun, is a really rare beast. So, in other words, Amelia is right about the French, strictly speaking. I mean, I mean, yeah. if you're saying au jus sauce, you're saying... It's redundant and it's right. not necessary. Yeah. Right. But what you're saying is that it's already here it in English. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It's, it's sort of second generation. 
Yeah, and and when you look at it, instead of being peeved, what I would encourage, and this is the try to way I think about all the stuff that peeves me, is just say, "Hey, look at that! There it is again. This cool thing that English did to this foreign word. Ah. <laughs> just just say that here's the evidence that we've borrowed again, and and just kind of accept the fact. Now you have a story to tell when you see it, instead of just peeving and and you know seething. Right. Okay. And, and then you order the ratatouille or something. <laughs> right. 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 But something else. Okay. Well, Amelia, thanks for an interesting question. I'm hungry yeah. now. Thank you for clearing it up for me. I appreciate it. You're okay. welcome. Take thanks care. for listening. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We love food questions. You probably knew that already. So if you've got some, give us a call, one 929 9673 That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, Martha and Grant. This is Larry in San Diego. Well, you got a doozy of a question for us, I hope. I have a question, and it is... Uh, do the three toes between the big toe and the little toe have common names, uh, analogous, I guess, to the way each of the fingers has a common name? You mean like Mo, Larry, and Curly? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's included in that group, yes. Oh, oh there we go. <laughs> Way to go oh, I'm sorry, I meant, I meant Joe. <laughs> uh, or Curly Joe. Well, champ. Larry, why in the world would you be wondering about that? About a month ago, I and my daughter and a friend of hers and their respective dogs, we went for a walk over in Coronado, and when I got home, I found a whole bunch of sand in my left sock and an already broken blister on the toe next to my big toe. And I got tired of referring to the toe next to my big toe and thought, surely that toe must have a name, but I looked in all of the dictionaries I have, I went to a a dietary website of some kind. I couldn't find any name for that toe or indeed any of the toes other than the big toe, which I found out has three names. So that's when I contacted you. Oh, well, Larry. Well, do, do tell. What are those three names of the big toe? The big toe, the great toe, and the hallux. Ah, nice mm-hmm. word, right? H-A-L-L-U-X. Correct. Mm-hmm. Larry, first of all, I'm really sorry about your toe. <laughs> But I'm really happy that you call because this is precisely the kind of question that we love to think about at all hours of the night. Um. (laughs) What, Grant? (laughs) Martha, I have a life. (laughs) (laughs) All right, one of us does. Well, Larry, I tell you what, this is is kind of one of those good news, bad news things, okay? Okay. So the bad news is that as far as I know, there aren't any names for those particular toes, those three toes between the big one and the little one. But the good news is that you're not alone. This has bothered people in the past. And in fact, a few years ago, a medical student from Yale University wrote to the New England Journal of Medicine and said, you know, we need names for these things. You know, we're doctors. We need names for those particular toes, like the one you're talking about. And so this medical student proposed five Latin names for, those t- for each of your toes. And each of those names began with the Latin element porcellus. Oh, my God. What's, what's that, mushroom or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's P-O-R-C-E-L-L-U-S. What? 
<laughs> what's, that, what's that mean? Um, well, you guys, porcellus means, I mean, it's Latin for little piggy. And ah, so, <laughs> so, and he had names for each of the toes. And Larry, the, the toe that you were having trouble with, that's your porcellus domi. That's the little piggy who stayed home. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I think you should just, you know, if people are sympathizing with you or you want to want to complain about it, I think you should just tell people I have a blister on my porcellus domi. They'll never ask for details. <laughs> well, Martha, if I went to the gym and told people I had a blister on my porcellus domi, I think they'd wonder why I was talking about that in public. <laughs> <laughs> And none of them would get in the jacuzzi with me. <laughs> no, no. It sounds like something that's seeping and oozing, doesn't it? Oh, you guys are killing me. You guys are killing me. But so, wait, wait, Martha. How did wait? it turn out? Did wait, the wait, well, medical the... establishment agree that these would be here henceforth the names for the toes? Ah, good question. Well, some of the colleagues of this young man started using the term, and a few orthopedic surgeons, supposedly. But... You know, for some reason, they just never caught on. <laughs> well, Larry, do you think you're going to use Porcellus Domi? I'm sorry, Martha, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I did my best, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for calling, All right. Larry. All right. Take bye-bye. care. Bye. Bye-bye. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. And you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined now by our quiz guy, John Chinesky. John, have a seat. Oh, should I take this one right here? <laughs> yeah, no, that's mine. Yeah. The th- oh, that's <laughs> the one that's the ornately carved one with all the, the velvet? No, that's yours? No, okay. that's Martha's. Mine's, oh. <laughs> mine's the one that's about four inches lower to the, you know, lower to the left. Okay, there. I'm just going to sit right here on this folding chair, if that's okay. Yeah. Well, John, what did you bring for us? Well, I have brought you a show-warming present. Called curtailments. <laughs> you brought a shawarma. Show show warming present. Yum. Program warming Yum. present. It's going to warm the cockles of your heart. I hope it's called curtailments. <laughs> the following clues are based on a type of wordplay called a curtailment. A curtailment is when you remove the last letter of a word and get a new word. For example, if you take the word punt and remove the last letter, you get the word pun. Pun. Right. Oh, I thought a curtailment was like a cease and desist order. There does exist that. I'm sure you've, you're familiar with that. But uh, I'll read you a sentence with two blanks. The longer word is appropriate in one blank. The shorter word fits in the other. Remember, one word is a curtailment of the other. Oh. Start, the first one's pretty easy. Let's start off with, with that as an example. I could tell my pigeon had flown the blank when I could no longer hear it blank. Gotcha. Oh. Coop and coop. Coop and coop. I could tell my mm-hmm. pigeon had flown the coop when I could no longer hear it coo. Very good. Go. Okay. <laughs> Here's the next. The contract read, This constitutes an agreement between John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, hereafter referred to as the blank of the first blank, and Vandalay Industries. Okay. Party oh. of the first part. Party and part. Very simple curtailment. Here's the next. Do you think bees blank their stingers to a point in order to better defend their blank? Oh, phew. Oh, hone mm-hmm. honey. Yeah, honey. There you right. go. Yeah. There we go. Some, oh, yeah. Sometimes a longer word is first. Sometimes yeah, a shorter word is first. Yeah, that was a little first. tricky. So, so they defend, they hone their stingers to defend their honey. Very good. Okay. Hone and honey. 
Here's the next. My boss tried to blank the blank into having an affair with her, but I returned from my vacation early and he moved on to his next job. Secretary and... <laughs> no. And blank secretary. the blank? My boss tried to blank the blank into having an affair with her, but I returned from my vacation early and he moved on to his next job. Oh, um... You have it? Tempt the temp. Tempt the Whoa. temp is very good, oh. yes. Nicely temp done the temp. there. That's a scandalous clue. I loved it. Yeah. So nice. yeah. Here's the next. It's not quite as scandalous. After, well, I take that back. It's sort of scandalous. After the opera, we snuck backstage to find the temperamental blank passed out on a large, cushiony blank. <laughs> the diva on the, div- <laughs> on the divan. Oh, or divan. How do you say that? I say divan, but then again, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably wrong. So I say that's couch. <laughs> that's not a word I've ever said out loud. Probably not. Yeah, it's, like, it's one of those words no one ever says it. You're right. You find it in like 1800s novels. Have you been reading Anthony right. Trollope or something recently? Uh, I, I, I read some, uh, what do they call them again? Corset uh, bodice rippers. Been reading those bodice oh, yeah, rippers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you know. Diva and Divan, yes. Now, this last one has three blanks. It's what we call a progressive curtailment. I think you'll get it pretty easily. Oh, man, that scene in A Christmas Carol where Scrooge sees Tiny Tim's crutch leaning on the blank. You could blank my blank beating a mile a minute. You could hear oh, okay. my so, heart. So hearth. But hearth. That's heart it. And heart. Hear my heart. Right. Hearth, oh, hear, hear heart. my heart. Exactly. Oh, hearth, heart, and hear. Oh, progressive nice. curtailment. Well, is that the last one? That was like the fireworks at the you know at the end of the fireworks display, you know, where everything's going off. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that's Everybody's right. They just saying, they throw everything in. I yeah, just threw yeah. everything in there. <laughs> Thanks fantastic. very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as fireworks. Thanks, John. That was a great quiz as always, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Okay. Thanks, John. Well, if you have a question about language, give us a call. The number's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward And, of course, you can always send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Liz in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Hiya, Liz. What's going on? Well, so I'm calling because I moved to the central Wisconsin area about five years ago. And I live in Stevens Point, which has a really, really, really strong Polish influence. And I came across in the first couple months that I was living here people asking me what my name is from home. And it would either be, what's your name from home? Who are you from home? Do you know who she is from home? Things like that. The first time I was asked, I had no idea. My response was uh, Fort Atkinson, (laughs) (laughs) that being my hometown. And after a long, you know, like back and forth and lots of me trying to figure out what they were asking, it finally realize that they were asking me my maiden name. And so my question is, is this a, like, some sort of Polish translation? Or is it just a Wisconsinism or a central Wisconsinism? Is it used in other parts of the country that have strong Polish influences? Or what's the deal? What's your name from home? Or who are you from home? That's what they were asking? Yep. I tell you, there is a Polish expression that sounds something like zdomu. Now, I'm not a Polish speaker, but that's an approximation. 
And Liz, you'll see this in genealogies. For example, if you research your Polish heritage on the uh, on the web, you'll see this expression. And it's used in the same way that we use in English the word spelled N-E-E. Are you familiar with that? Oh, I certainly am because my mom's maiden name is Nee. Oh. <laughs> no! That's true. It makes genealogy a little difficult on the internet with she, our family. Liz's mom oh, no. was Nee Nee? Yep. How do you pronounce that? It's Nee, N-E-E. So oh, okay. everybody in our family is Nee Nee. Oh. <laughs> what I'm, are the odds? Well, I'm sure that's an old joke to you, but that's getting. I'm, I'm loving it over here. So. Oh, I still think it's hilarious. Oh, that's fantastic. Martha, what was that Polish phrase again? Can you spell that in Latin characters? Well, it's actually two words. It's Z Mm -hmm. space D-O-M-U. And it's pronounced something like Zdomu. So the domu, I'm speculating, is close to the Latin word for home, then. Hello, yep. Ah, because domicile, right? Right, right, right. domestic, exactly. And so the idea with that expression is it's it's roughly translated as as maybe from home or from the house of. And so I can see how you would transfer that idea to English. And so this is what we call, and I've used this word on the show before, a calc. C-A-L-Q-U-E, right? Mm-hmm. I Where think so. something in one language is, is translated exactly and literally into another language. Exactly. Mm, and, and, you know, but I only know a little bit about I've only know, I know this exists in Mich- Michigan and Wisconsin. But when I lived in Greenpoint in New York City, which is very, very Polish. I mean, it's so Polish that when I would go into places, they would, you know, speak to me in Polish because they thought I was Polish. Um, I never heard that. But then I wasn't doing genealogy there. So these are English speakers. Do they still speak any Polish? Um, there are a lot of people who still speak a little bit of Polish. Like everybody in town knows the word for beer is piva. Mm-hmm. And oh, really? Like that. But, I mean, these are people that have been, their families have been here for generations. And there's even people in my generation, you know, say like late 20s, early 30s, who have lived here their entire life who use it. Now, usually it's people, you know, 60s and older who use it commonly. Ah, really? Mm-hmm. But people who've grown up in this town say it all the time. Like, there was a bartender I know who said, oh, yeah, she's rowdy. It's because she's a Wojciechowski from home. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, the, the Polish the Polish ex- names don't really look that great on paper, but when you say them, they have a rhythm, don't they? Oh, they're hilarious. <laughs> Not hilarious, but they're ex- They're very fun to say. Yes. Well, thanks for calling this to our attention. Yeah, thank you. Um, so. Basically, the answer is it's not used really very many places other than here in Michigan, huh? Not no, but that I it know is of. a great local expression. You've, you've, you're basically a field worker out there, Liz, and you've discovered something that people who study dialects would, would love to learn more about. Ah, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Okay. You're welcome. Thank Thanks you for so calling. Bye bye. Right, Everyone in Wisconsin and Michigan, you're welcome to call us at one 929 and tell us what you know about what's your name from home or maybe something else that comes from Polish. Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, Martha. This is Alex from Redondo Beach, California. Do you have a question for us? Oh, yes, I most certainly do. Um, we have an 11-month-old daughter, and uh, she has a penchant for throwing things and dropping things on the floor and grabbing things she isn't supposed to, like 11-month uh, children are supposed to do. Um, my girlfriend calls her a holy terror. Um, when I asked her to clarify the meaning, she said it was a euphemism for the devil. I insisted that uh, it should be then unholy terror. 
we argued about it for a while, and uh, I decided to contact the experts to settle the argument and find out the origin and the meaning of the expression, and if it is a substitution for the devil, shouldn't it be unholy rather than holy? That's oh, a big ticket wow. you're asking there. And you didn't want to fight in front of the girl, right? That's the right. whole reason to come to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so one of you, which one of you says that that means it's a euphemism for the devil? Uh, my girlfriend does. But you, your little angel isn't a devil, really, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little angel that destroys a lot of stuff, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Aren't they all? Here's what's happening in this case. Holy isn't holy. It doesn't mean consecrated. It doesn't mean consecrated any more than honking big diamond ring means the ring is beeping and hooting its way through traffic. Holy, like honking, is an intensifier. All it does is mean more terror. And actually, we're not even really talking about real terror, are we? No, not really. We're not talking no. about a real terror. I mean, a, a real terror is like a mudslide or an asteroid hitting the Earth. That's a real terror. Right. Um, so we're, we're not actually talking about, we're not talking about the devil here. And it's actually, all it is a way of saying is that she's a terror, which means that she wreaks havoc on the world. And actually, that in itself is kind of joking and, and jocular. And you don't even really mean that. It's not like she's burning down buildings or, you know, running through town um, uh, shooting people or something like that. She's an 11-month-old. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I thought it was something like, you know, uh, when people drop uh, negating suffixes from, say, uh, I could care less versus saying I couldn't care less. That's because, you know, she said it was the devil. So. Not a bad guess. It really isn't a bad guess because sometimes these expressions get passed down, and it's only when you look at them closely that you start to realize, hey, there's something interesting happening yeah. here. So, so it's not the euphemism, euphemism for the devil, then. It's just, no, uh, no, it's not. I mean, it, it's an exaggeration. It, it, yeah, you know, an exaggeration. That's it's an exaggeration. That's right. It's meant to be a funny and and kind exaggeration. The same way you might call a good friend, uh, uh, you know, if you see him on the street and you haven't seen him in a couple of years, you know, you might say, "Oh, there you are, your old sob. How nice to see you." You don't really mean he's an sob. You just, it's just a way of jokingly showing that you have a really close connection to this person and you recognize that uh, everything they do in the world isn't perfect, but you still love them all the same. Right. <laughs> well, Alex, it sounds like you have your hands full, but I'm sure happily so. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, all right. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. If you've got a question about language, grammar, usage, spelling, pronunciation, old sayings, or something that Grandma used to say, give us a call. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven Wayward. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Rissa, and I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Rissa. What's going on in Madison, Wisconsin? Well, I saw a sign at the airport a while back, just past the security checkpoint, that said "recombobulation area." Excuse me? Recombobulation? Yes. Recombobulation. I know. I, I looked at it several times and couldn't believe it myself. <laughs> and and that's at uh, Mitchell? Mitchell International? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're in Milwaukee. Um, yep. Well, did you recombobulate? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was actually dropping a friend off, so she recombobulated. <laughs> I see. What we were trying to figure out is where did, well, obviously where did discombobulate come from originally? And I always thought discombobulation was a mental state of confusion, not like a physical state of having your shoes off and your bags unpacked and all of that. Mm -hmm. ah. So the whole idea that TSA would invent a new word based on another invented word 
Where did it come from? It discombobulated you. It discombobulated <laughs> me. But, well, that's a good question. I mean, it it the word is is a joke, just like putting the sign up was a joke. Um, Recombobulate is a joke, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, discombobulate yeah. has been around since at least the 1830s in this country, mm. which was this time of this wonderful linguistic exuberance. I mean, we play with language all the time, mm-hmm. but there was this period of time when, when a lot of words came into being like absquatulate, which means to, to leave. Yeah, yeah, to run off. And they were, they were words that kind of sound like what they mean and sound sort of fancy too, like absquatulate and discombobulate came around mm-hmm. during that period of time. And nobody knows if it comes from discompose or discomfort. I hear sort of a bit of the bobble in there too, but maybe that's my own imagination. What do you think, Grant? It was discombobulate in the early days, right? Yeah, I've also seen discombobricate. So it's just this silly, goofy, made-up word. And I think the the airport people there in, um, where is it, Madison or Milwaukee? Milwaukee. 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 I think they were just having fun, too. And I remember reading news reports where they were saying, yeah, we're just trying to lighten the mood. It's so serious here, you know. I think we need more of that. I think we need more recombobulation areas, don't you? If you'll pardon the expression, flying sucks enough as it is. So let's put a little humor where... It can do the most good, right? And I love the fact that the recombobulate, somebody thought about it, right? They said, oh, mm-hmm. what's discombobulate's funny, but how can we top it? I think it's terrific. And and I understand what you're saying about you're saying, is it a is it a grammatical word? Is it is it an accurate word? But uh, I understood it. Did you understand it, Rissa, when you were standing there? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's got meaning. It can be written down, it can be said aloud, and it imparts meaning. Therefore, it's a word. And it makes you laugh. Yeah. All right. Well, Rissa, thank you so much for bringing this word to our attention. Uh, I think we all agree that it's a funny word. Yes, we do. All right. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thanks very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a new word that you encountered that you want to talk to us about, we'd love to hear about it. The number is 1-877-929-9673. You can also always send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. We spoke earlier about David Crystal's new book that debunks the idea that text messaging is somehow destroying English. But I'll tell you what, Grant, there's what? one aspect, which is the etiquette surrounding texting. Not not really what's on the screen, but the whole etiquette around oh, I it. I see. When it's appropriate. Well, yeah, yeah. And Lynn Truss, the British author who wrote Eat, Shoots, and Leaves about punctuation, she speaks for me on this issue. She recently complained about this in print, and she wrote, In America now, where nearly everyone seems to own a Blackberry, there's a new facial expression I've observed, which involves a fixed smile and panicky swiveled eyes, which means... I am still listening to you, but I can see I have a message, but I am honestly still listening to you. I will read the message later, so tell me again, what did you say? I wish I could read my bleeping message. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. You've seen that look, right? And and there's a variant of that. It's when you go out to dinner with people and all these phones appear on the table. It's like as if they came with the silverware, you know? It's plate, (laughs) napkin, fork, knife, and phone (laughs) right right. next to everyone. (laughs) And they're all looking down at the plate, like every every couple minutes to look down like, dude, nobody's called you. Everyone in your life who's important to you is right here. Put the phone away. Exactly. Or they look and and it's something funny and they snicker and they don't tell you what it's about. It drives me crazy. Right, right. right. Because then they have to explain the whole backstory of how they've been text messaging somebody in Thailand for weeks and they think that they're Brad Pitt and whatever. Well, there's the other side of the etiquette of the phone, and that is I've started to get advertisements in text message form, stuff Ooh, I did not sign up for, ick. and that's evil. I get enough of that in every other part of my digital life. I don't need that on my phone. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's illegal, but how do you catch them? 
Well, I'm with you, Martha. There's something to be said about face-to-face communication that is unmediated by a digital device, right? Absolutely. And here we are talking to each other over the microphone. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And if you want to talk with us over the phone, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Support for Away With Words comes from National Geographic Books, publisher of I'm Not Hanging Noodles From Your Ears, a collection of intriguing idioms from around the world by Jag Bala. Learn more at shopng.com noodles. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, week after week, our quiz guys, John Chinesky and Greg Pliska, give us a hard time with those quizzes, don't they? Oh, boy, do they. But, you know, I think we do pretty well. Although, sometimes I suspect that they're giving us softballs. Mm, It could be. But, you know, if they made it too hard, it would take out all the fun. So, you and I have been planning. And plotting. And we're happy to announce that now we're going to get our revenge. We are going to puzzle the puzzlers. Both John and Greg are members of the National Puzzlers League. That's an organization of puzzle creators and solvers. These are diehard fans of crosswords, Scrabble, word games, you name it. Anyway, each week we're going to challenge a member of the Puzzlers League to play our slang quiz. And we'll get a chance to see how they do on our turf. On our turf? Aqueduct? Pimlico? Belmont? (laughs) No, no, no. They'll all be right here. And we have our first member of the National Puzzlers League on the phone right now. Today's contestant is Deb Amlin from Springfield, New Jersey. Hi, Martha. How are you? Hi. Hello, Deb. Hi, Grant. So, Deb, tell us, what kind of puzzler are you? I am a crossword constructor. Constructor? Yes. Mm. I, I wear a hard hat. You do. Okay, well, Deb, if you're ready to play, then we'll start, all right? I am ready. Okay, let me tell you how we play slang this. Grant will give you a sentence with a blank in it. Then he'll give you three slang words that might fill in that blank, and your job will be to figure out which of those slang words fits best. Now, I haven't seen the quiz, so I'll be joining you so we can try to figure it out together, okay? Okay, we'll double-team them. All right, that sounds good. (laughs) Well, here we go. Here's the first part of the quiz. Men, I want you to fan out, find the enemy's 20, and then report back to base at O blank 30. So what goes in that blank? Is it O sharp 30, O dark 30, or O hard 30? Hmm. It's a a military situation, imagine. Right. I would imagine that if it's military, they want you to be right on time. And unless I'm mistaken, I would guess that it would be, oh, hard 30. Oh, hard 30. Martha, do you agree with that? Um, And the other options were dark 30 and... Sharp 30. Oh, sharp 30. Oh, dark 30. Or oh, hard 30. Hmm. Could I hear the sentence one more time? Sure. Men, I want you to fan out, find the enemy's 20, and then report back to base at O-blank 30. Hmm. Well, I think I can, I can rule out dark. 
Are you sure? I just I have a friend who used to complain about having to catch a plane at oh dark thirty. Oh, basis. Okay, but unless I'm mistaken, we're we're going for something that would sort of be exactly at a certain time. Oh, so then sharp thirty would be. Hmm. Either that or hard thirty. Hard. That sounds more military, don't you think? It I, it does sound military. Well, we have no idea, Grant. <laughs> right. In well, other words, we're, we're, we're going around in circles here. I'm but, bringing in the um, helicopter to I, rescue I you now. My, my best guess would be hard. Unfortunately, the one that you decided wasn't the right one is the right one. It's O oh, Dark no. 30. In the military... Martha, I should have listened to you. The military <laughs> is all about precision, but it's also uh, one of these things where you can plan and plan and plan, and then all of your plans are for naught. O Dark 30 just means an indeterminate time after it gets dark. Here's the second one. Here we go. Okay. We know it was you who told the papers the warden was corrupt. Now get ready for a little blank. We're going to transfer you from prison to prison until you don't know where you are. What goes in that blank? Now get ready for a little diesel therapy or get ready for a little rubber ranging or get ready for a little federal holiday. So the last line is the key here. We're going to transfer you from prison to prison until you don't know where or who you are. Hmm. Don't forget, it's slang. Uh, it's well, slang. So. that sounds like something the federal government would do. <laughs> I mean, that sounds fairly federal to me. Um, Let me read those again. The first one was diesel therapy. The second one was rubber ranging. And the third one was federal holiday. Which of these describes um, maybe transferring somebody from prison to prison just to confuse them or disorient them? Right, right. As a form uh, of punishment. Well, uh, you know, my my sense of logic failed me last time. What do you think, Martha? <laughs> I, I, I think it's federal holiday because having once been sequestered on jury duty, we took a tour of some of the uh, wackiest uh, hotels in Manhattan, but... Um, and that felt like a federal holiday, but <laughs> that I like don't. A story. I don't know exactly. Uh, it would, uh, you know, diesel therapy could could fit in there. I, rubber ranging doesn't sound right to me, but then again, I was wrong last time. Yeah, I would cross out the rubber ranging, but then I'm really torn between diesel therapy and federal holiday. All right, well, here I come in. Here's the bell. There's a silent bell here. Um, oh. <laughs> it, oh, man. It is indeed diesel therapy. Oh, and wow. the, the, the kind of the slangy part behind this term is that they drive you around on a diesel bus. And so it's therapy oh. by diesel engine. Oh, There's a bus. similar term that they use in parts of California, greyhound therapy. And this refers to um, taking homeless people Loading them up on a bus, a charter bus, and sh- and then busing them to another town and dumping them off in the town square there. Interesting. Well, Deb, I want to thank you for being such a good sport and playing along. It was my pleasure. It was nice to talk to you both. Super duper. Thank Terrific. you for playing today, Deb. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find out more about the National Puzzlers League at puzzlers.org. You can also join us here on the show with your questions or comments about slang or anything else language-related. Call us at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name's Robert Craddock from La Mesa, and I have a question about a type of word that's actually a combination of two words. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah, we call them Reese's peanut butter cup words for lack of a better defined term, and we're hoping um, you can maybe give us a clue here. Reese's peanut butter cup words. Yeah, someone shoved chocolate into your peanut butter and you end up with something different than both of them that was really good. Oh, and, um, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. You you got chocolate in my peanut butter. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. That, do they still run those commercials? Or, or, I, are I we think talking it's about just something? <laughs> floating around in my mind. Yeah, and, mine and too. Mine too. I, I wonder if, um, Grant, do you remember, are you old enough to remember those commercials? Oh, sure, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> those right. were like, what, late 70s, early 80s, maybe? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. My, my wife here in La Mesa is out with a group of women and they're practicing for a run and they're. My wife came up with this term called uh, for for what they're doing is woggers, meaning that they're walking and jogging intermittently. And um, mm. I I wasn't privy to what she was talking about until she filled me in on the walk part, and then the jogger part came came to me. But um, I brought the question back to our library and asked my library staff if they knew of of a word that describes those kind of combinations for like when biology and chemistry become biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And um, we, couldn't, we couldn't come up with one. And I guess we could go and research it, but the old saying goes, a cobbler's kids get no shoes. We don't really have time to do our own research. We're answer, answering questions for other people. Uh, so, so that's you... why we emailed you. <laughs> so you're, you're outsourcing your library reference work. Yes. Okay. Keeping it in this country. But, um, well. We have an answer. Yes, we do. Actually, we have lots of answers, don't we? But I'll tell you my favorite word for this, Robert, which is portmanteau word. Portmanteau. That sounds like a fine postprandial. <laughs> P-O-R-T-M-A-N-T-E-A-U. Portmanteau. And that refers to an old-fashioned stiff suitcase, the kind that is hinged in the middle and opens into two halves, and then you pack your clothes and you put those two halves back together. Okay. It's a word that Lewis Carroll coined. You know, Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, and Jabberwocky. He has all those funny words in that poem, Jabberwocky. Yes, yes. Right. He called those portmanteau words, which I just love. I love the image of the suitcase with two halves carrying meaning in either half. I'd like that, too. <laughs> yeah, portmanteau words. Although they've gone by different names, haven't they, Grant? Like telescope yeah, and, words. And... Right. And in linguistics, they tend to be, we tend to use the more boring term of blend. Blend. <laughs> yeah. And in linguistics also, we've broken them down into multiple kinds of blends. And I won't, I won't get into the details here, but it's definitely a phenomenon that's been examined for 70 or 80 years because this is one of the ways in which we neologize. It's more common in the last hundred years than it ever was before that. It simply wasn't common to take two words with meaning and put them together. But but it's cool. Blends are cool. Portmanteau words are cool. I love I'm like I'm like Martha. I love the fact that Lewis Carroll identified this and felt that it was such a treat for him to do as a writer that he needed to point out to people that it was interesting and that there, that he also created a name for it. He was he was a heavy neologizer. Oh fun. So, Robert, take portmanteau back to your staff and see what they make of it. I will certainly do that. All right. Thanks for calling, Robert. Well, thank Robert. you both. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if you've got a question for us about the name for a phenomenon, you've got an idea but you don't know how to put a name to it, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Paula calling from Indianapolis. Hi, Paula. Welcome. Well, thank you. I have a question about the expression hairy eyeball. 
I it was a an expression that my brother used frequently when he was getting that look from my parents that they were giving him the hairy eyeball. <laughs> sure. Um, and I thought it was specific to my generation. And at work the other day, a young lady used it, and I looked at her in surprise, and I said, "Where did you hear that?" And she had heard it from her father, who is presumably about my age. Uh huh. So I'm I'm wondering um, how wide the usage is, how it originated. I have an idea of why that was the expression. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, let's hear that idea. When uh, a person is giving somebody the hairy eyeball, their head is often tilted down, mm-hmm. and then they're looking up at the person. So they're actually almost looking through their eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So there's a, right, because I actually, I do that look to my son, and he has started to imitate me, but it's because I'm looking over the top of my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine a 17-month-old Can you frown at him better that. over the top of his glasses? Yeah, well, my wife, and, my wife says that the two of us, me and my son, have the same scowl. Uh-huh. It's definitely the hairy eyeball, though. I know exactly the look you're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't think my father ever used that. It, I, it's... um. It's well covered by the slang dictionaries. It, it's got a history of 40 to 50 years, we know for certain. I bet it's older than that. Yeah. Any, any work that I'd ever done in trying to dig up its history didn't turn up anything earlier than, say, 1961. Um, I don't know much more about it. I don't think it's regionally localized. I don't think it belongs to a particular part of the country. It is interesting, though, that you, you've pinned it on a generation. I think that young people today would understand it, but I don't think they would use it usually. Yes, I asked my son about it, and he's 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, yes, I know what you mean. I would not use it myself. They might be more likely to use the stink eye or the skunk eye. Do you know those variants? No, but this young lady that I talked with at work said that in her family, they also called it the stink face. The stink Ooh. face. Ah, that's a, Yeah, there's a certain kind of scowl that you might do if you smell something nasty, right? Right. Yeah, I was shocked the first time I heard this. I think I must have been out of high school, and I just thought it was the grossest thing I'd ever heard. And so, of course, I went to look up the origin of it. And my recollection is that it's somebody who's looking at you sort of through squinted eyes, not so much the eyebrows. So it might be eyelashes that they're looking through? Yeah, just kind of glaring hmm. at you with, with their eyes almost closed. And it's interesting to me that it that it's not that old. I mean, maybe 50 years or so. Right. Hmm. Right. Well, I hope we've helped a little bit, Paula. Well, yeah, that was fun. Super duper. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks Bye-bye. for calling. We welcome your calls about language. Call us about grammar, slang, punctuation, usage, whatever. one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or words at waywardradio.org. <laughs> talking about worries that text messaging is destroying young people's ability to write. But Grant, I think a lot of people will be surprised by a growing body of research that suggests that, if anything, it's enhancing people's ability to write. That's right. There's one study that I saw that talked about the texting abilities of 11 to 24-year-olds. And what they found was a higher level of literacy among the students who texted the most. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, earlier this year, 
Sally Tagliamonti and Derek Dennis of the University of Toronto released a study that is just another one in a long line of such studies that had a lot of really interesting things to say that somehow never really make it to the popular press when it comes to talking about texting. For example, all these texting habits that people have, they're not creating a new language that will replace English. It's really just English under a different disguise, you know? Mm -hmm. There's nothing really remarkable. They also found something that I thought was most interesting to me, and they made a, a point of talking about it, which is that when we text, we tend to mix our language registers. Do you know what I mean by that? Different levels of, of language, right? Yeah. So you might use the words shall and will, and then right after that say gonna instead mm-hmm, of going mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. all in the same, even the same sentence. So what we what we find with texting, because it's such an abbreviated form of language, is that we're looking for the words that have high impact but don't take a lot of struggle to write. So shall is a really great, strong word that talks about the future and something that you're going to do. And then gonna is just a really tight way of saying going to. So it's all about expediency and maximum impact for your, you know, per keystroke. Right. So it's not so much about the English language contracting or becoming more impoverished. If anything, it's, it's expanding, right? I mean, that's sort of the point. Yeah, but and it's expanding in the same way that offline English does, or the English that's in newspapers, the English that's in books, or the English that you might speak on the telephone to your parents. English is a body is moving in certain directions, and texting isn't part of that movement. It shows all the signs that all the kinds of English are undergoing. Does that make sense? Look at this a different way. Texting and the abbreviations in texting is just a tiny, tiny, tiny little fragment of all the English there is. Exactly. And to make such a big to-do out of it really overstates its importance. And then within texting, abbreviations and emoticons and all these other short forms of language account for only 3% of all of the words used in texting. Yeah, which is so it's shocking. A t- shocking statistic. It's a statistic. tiny little low number yeah. out of a tiny little part of English. And so to give it this big harumph, oh, it's destroying English, really kind of overstates the case. Well, if you'd like to talk about any aspect of language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. You can also send us an email to words at waywardradio.org and join us on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, don't worry. You can leave us a message anytime, day or night. Call 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or you can join the conversations going on right now in our discussion forum. That's at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett, inviting you to join us next week right here on Away With Words. So long. See ya. Either, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh.